Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Dietrich. Hey, everybody. And Jeremy Green. Hello. And I'm Reuven Lerner. And this week, we are going to talk to you about books, specifically writing and publishing books, why you should do it or not, how you should do it or not, and our experiences or not. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Okay, anyway, so... Let's, uh, let's start off with just sort of a little bit of background with what each of us has done book publishing wise, and then we can take a few steps back, talk about what the advantages might be, and then how you go about doing it and different things you can think about and topics to talk about. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll just start and say I've published a few books already. I published a book on Pearl with Pearson back in 2000, uh, and then I self-published two books that I called Practice Makes Python and Practice Makes Regex. Uh, in the last few years, I guess like four years ago and three years ago. And now I'm republishing Practice Makes Python through Manning, a real publisher. And it's already online in, I think, 80% form. And it'll be available in print in the spring. So that's my my book publishing experience. We, we'll go into all sorts of details about that. Um, Eric, how about you? Uh, well, let's see. I have three books that are out there with my name on them. Um, two of them kind of arose because a friend of mine had this uh, business, this publication, uh, small business that he built that was uh, about taking blog posts and turning them into publishable eBooks and even print books. Um, so I worked with him on a couple of those. And then I wrote a much like longer book that I self-published. Um, it wasn't a how-to book. It was kind of a opinion take on the industry. And that one's done pretty well. Uh, but that was a self-published affair that you can go and, you know, find on Amazon and the various bookstores. So everything I've done was either, you know, working with a friend who was, you know, more of an indie publisher, uh, or self-publishing. So I don't have any, um, direct experience writing books, uh, through traditional public publishing channels. Uh, so that is, uh, the sum total of my book experience. Got it. And, uh, Jeremy, what about you? Uh, so I was a contributor to a book called The Independent Consulting Manual that was about a dozen or so other consultants. Uh, we all teamed up, uh, pooled our resources to write and self-publish a book. I run a SaaS called Brumark that is a tool for people who want to self-publish books. Uh, so between a number of people that have used that platform and some of the consultants for the Independent Consulting Manual, uh, who had also previously published books, uh, both self-published and through traditional publishers. Uh, I've talked with a number of people that have, kind of have experience in both and have gotten to do some brain picking uh, about the pros and cons to each approach. All right. So let, let's start off with like, 
why someone might want to publish a book. Um, and maybe this is really, really obvious, but do not publish a book because you're going to make lots of money from it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, there are people who make a lot of money from their books, but they are rare. And even rarer are the people in the technical area who make money publishing books. Yeah, and we should probably be you know, explicit that we're really talking about technical or informational books here. We're not talking about, you know, you're sitting down to write the great American novel or something like that. This is, you know, you're writing something about your area of expertise uh, that can help, you know, solidify your authority in your space. Right, right. And I think that's the key. I think that's the key that basically you're writing this book because you want people to either see your name on the shelf and say, wow, I need to hire that person because they clearly know what they're doing because they were <laughs> able to publish a book. Or when you go to talk to potential clients and they're thinking to themselves, well, why should I trust this person and pay them a lot? You can whip out a copy of your book and say, well, I must know what I'm talking about because I published a book. Uh, <laughs> so, so do clients fall for this? I mean, do clients believe this? My experience has been yes, not just clients, but people in general. Um, and I'll say this not just because of, um, so one of the books I did was about unit testing and that certainly seemed to go a long way in, you know, sales conversations and whatnot to have a book published on this topic. Cause I used to do some, you know, developer training and kind of like legacy rescue type engagements years back. Um, I've definitely found like talking to clients, like this is no, no one has called me up and asked me to give them courses because of my books. Um, but I think the fact that I've published books has definitely sort of made me more valuable in their eyes. And I'm, I'm basically betting like one of the reasons why I'm republishing the book through Manning is because I'm hoping that it will get my name out to more people. And that when I say I published a book with them, the sense will be, okay, anyone can self-publish a book. That's like sort of level one. And granted that that takes effort and it shows some degree of knowledge and authority. But if you can do it through a publisher, then that's going to like, it means someone else believes in you too. You don't only believe in yourself. Um, so I'm hoping that sort of cachet will, will work, but um, it hasn't shown itself to be so far, but we haven't actually published the darn thing yet. <laughs> and that, by the way, I should add, it is 100% my fault. 100%. One of my, my favorite quotes, um, unless my editor is listening, in which case it is a terrible quote is from Douglas Adams, uh, who said, I love deadlines. I love the whooshing sound they make as they fly by. Uh, <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, my, my writing slash rewriting of the book has been subject to many such uh, feelings along those lines. So I can weigh in here and say that I actually, with the, the book about automated unit testing, um, I have gotten over the years a few leads specifically because of that, you know, people reaching out and saying things like, hey, you know, I came across this book or somebody had this book, do you do consulting? Um, so it it can happen. I, I've never, it, it's not what I do and it hasn't been for a while to do that sort of consulting. So I haven't really tried to nurture it, but it has come up. I find that it beyond that, there's like, it makes sales conversations easier. And I can think of, um, other things that do this as well, like clients, when they're trying to make a purchasing decision, if they've issued an RFP or if they're just deciding whether or not to hire you, they want kind of something to sink their teeth into. And if you kind of um, 
have no form of collateral really out there. If you're just kind of going about your business as a freelancer, maybe via word of mouth, you have a minimal, if any, website. One of the things they'll do is like ask you for references or case studies or testimonials. If you bring things like a book um, or like a video channel or, or whatever it may be, what I've found is that when you have that stuff, you get asked a lot less for things like references, that they kind of view that as some sort of social proof of your expertise. So those are the two, you know, I've gotten a handful of leads. I've never really tried to manufacture those through the books, but um, the sales conversation, I find that it seems like I get asked less about uh, demonstrations of expertise or past client happiness if I have that. That is yeah. such a fantastic description, seeing it as social proof, seeing it as almost like a, like a reference or even better than a reference. I like that. Sorry, Jeremy, you started to say something. Oh, I, I was going to say that that completely matches what I've heard from uh, people who have published through Remark and also through other channels uh, that I've had discussions with. Um, and one of them, I'm not remembering who it was at the moment, um, said that they feel like having the book out there helps their prospects uh, really be able to understand their worldview and kind of see where they're coming from and how they approach problems and problem solving. And that that helps the helps solidify in the client's mind that, oh yes, this is the person that I want looking at my problems because I understand and appreciate the way that they look at problems. Right, right. It gives insight into your thinking, into your clarity of communication, into Absolutely. your ability to, uh, pick apart a problem and then put it back together alongside other people. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, so so I mean, I, the end of the day is for authority. In terms of making money off of a book, so I, I mean, I'll tell you my story, which was, um, so when I wrote that book for Pearson, so they had this whole series, the core series, and the guy who wrote the first book in the series, I think the first book, Core Java, Gary something or other, he apparently, I can't remember if he made a ton of money from it, and then left to form his own publishing company called A-Press, or he did not make a ton of money from it and was so ticked off with the contract that he formed his own publisher called A-Press. Either way, <laughs> Gary Cordell, I think, was his name. So A-Press basically was the result of anger with Pearson from the guy who did Core Java, and they then had this whole series of other core books on other languages, none of which, so far as I know, sold nearly as well as Core Java, and I did the Core Pearl book. And the way it works with a publisher is... Um, they give you an advance. Typically, they'll give you an advance. And an advance, understand, means they are paying you on the assumption that the book will sell enough to pay you that money. So I got a $5,000 advance on the book, meaning here's $5,000. And if the book, if your royalties will get up to $5,000, we pay you nothing more. If they pay more, then fine, we'll pay you more. And if they pay less, I, I don't think we got to that point. But we definitely didn't get to more, that's for sure. And so I did it with them and it was just a terrible experience in all sorts of different ways. And so I decided a few years ago, I was gonna self-publish. I was sort of convinced by the Brennan Dunn types. Well, if you self-publish a book, you'll make so much money, it'll be amazing. And so actually when I published Practice Makes Python on my own, uh, Manning called me or emailed me. We had a fantastic phone meeting and they said, so you wanna do this with us? We can like republish your book. And I, like in a fit of massive ego inflation, said, no, 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 I am going to self-publish this book, thinking to myself, I am going to be rich. 
I am not rich. I was foolish. Um, and so three years later, I came crawling back to them and said, hey, remember my book? How would you like to publish it? And I can tell you that in the four months since we published it online only in preview mode, they have sold more than four times as many copies. That's in four months. They've sold four times as many copies as I have in over four years, five years. So it turns out publishing companies actually do know something about marketing, getting the word out and, and so forth. It doesn't mean you're going to make a lot of money from it, but your name will at least get out to more places quite possibly, depending on who you are, right? But like in my experience, that was definitely the case. Yeah, and I think that gets to kind of one of the questions about what is your goal with the book? You know, is it to make decent amounts of money or is it to spread your name as far and wide as possible or something in the middle? And, you know, one thing that's related to that that I've heard a number of people talk about and kind of struggle with is when you go through a traditional publisher, they own the relationship with the buyer and the reader which effectively means, you know, the publisher may or may not have a name and email address for each person that buys the book. Uh, but you, as the author, do not get that information. And so that means that you don't really have much of an opportunity to remarket to those people to follow up with them and find out if they would be a good fit for your training or your consulting or whatever the thing is. You know, they're just sort of uh, anonymous readers that have purchased and maybe somebody else can follow up with them, but you can't. You know, it's funny you say that because I remember when I started, like when I published the my first ebook and I put it out in a bunch of different formats and I heard that you could publish on Amazon as well and sell there. And I heard people say, yeah, yeah but don't do that because if you do that, then you don't have access to the customer information. It never occurred to me that that's the same case as with a regular traditional publisher, right? You're right. <laughs> Basically, um, I put my name and website and mailing list on, you know, on the book in the hopes that some proportion of the people who buy it will want to sign up and get more and then, you know, sort of be on my list. But I have no way of knowing if that's going to be 1%, 10%, or 90% of the people who buy the book. And I have no way. And if I miss them, they're gone. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That said... I'm getting my name to so many more people. Um, and so my goal with this book, and don't tell Manning, my goal with this book is not really to make money, right? Um, Manning, my goal is to make lots of money. My, my goal is not to make money. My goal is to get my name out so that thousands of people will get my book and see on the back cover, Reuven teaches Python at companies around the world. And if even like 1% of those people then call me up and say, we'd like a course, I'll be overwhelmed with work. That's my strategy. One of the things that I have as a goal for devchat.tv is to cover technologies that are up and coming, things that we're probably going to have to deal with on a more regular basis in the future. Some of these include AI, VR, and one of them is blockchain. So I reached out to one of the experts that I knew, Gregory McCubbin, and we pulled together a few other people and we've started a podcast called Adventures in Blockchain. So if you're looking at blockchain as something that you may want to work in, something that you're curious about learning more about, or something that you just want to keep current on until you have the opportunity to make a career jump and go over and work in blockchain and crypto, then definitely check out Adventures in Blockchain. You can find it at adventuresinblockchain.io. So, so if you want to self-publish, let's say you want to self-publish. So there are a whole bunch of different ways to do that, right? And this is the publishing part. We'll get to the marketing part in a second. <laughs> but the publishing part, like technically speaking, Jeremy, you definitely have like more experience than we do on this front. 
Um, so you're talking about Remark, but I'm also curious, like, then what? Like, what, what do you do? Like, how do you get it out to people? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's several parts to that. You know, there's just production, you know, producing the artifact that you're going to sell, uh, which is probably going to be maybe a PDF, probably a Mobi or an EPUB uh, that people can download to their digital devices. And so, you know, there's a variety of means of doing that. I Remark is one way, uh, lets you author in Markdown and then generate all three of those formats uh, from your one single manuscript. You know, there are other tools that will allow you to do that. You know, so that's kind of the production side of things. And then there's, you know, the question of, are you actually going to print real copies? Do you want to be able to stick something in the mail and send it to somebody or hand somebody a book uh, when you see them in person? Uh, you know, there's services like Blurb uh, that will allow you to do printing on demand. Uh, so you can do really pretty short runs of books. I mean, Blurb will do one book for you if that's what you want. They'll, they'll print a single copy. And then there's the, you know, how do you actually get it for sale? You know, uh, are you going to set up a, a Squarespace site or a Shopify store where you're selling digital downloads? Uh, are you going to use, you know, some other home roll shopping cart solution? And then, you know, once you've figured that out, there is the marketing question as well. I think all of those we can kind of get into details on, but I, those are, I think, kind of the big questions that you have to address on that side. Did I miss anything? No, that I mean, that's pretty complete. I mean, I, I know I tried a whole lot of different tool sets to, to build my books. And if I were now using what Manning has me use, which is something called ASCII doc, which is sort of like a second cousin of markup, a markdown, um, <laughs> which is actually kind of impressive, except that like not too many people use it. But so they're using that. And so that I'm, I'm using that and I've gotten the tools to work to the large, to a large degree. But if I weren't doing that, uh, then I would be using Remark because, quite frankly, I went through so many different tool sets and tool chains, and they all had such problems and were so annoying in so many ways. And just produce at the end of the day, you just want to be producing those, you know, PDF and EPUB and Kindle versions, and you don't care that much about all the junk that goes on behind it. Yeah, and and you know, for this particular genre of book that we're talking about, which is you know, technical, informational, uh, you know, it's, it's about conveying information more than, you know, say a photography book that is about design and looking just absolutely perfect. Um, for these type of informational books, you know, I would advise people not to let themselves get too deep in the weeds of obsessing about what it looks like and how pages lay out. And, you know, there's all sorts of things that don't really deliver value to the readers of your book that are easy to let yourself kind of get down this rabbit hole as you start looking at tools and, you know, how you're going to lay out the book and all that kind of thing. Um, so I, I would really encourage people to stick to concentrating on having good content that is conveying the information that you want to convey in the way that you want to convey it and kind of just you know, the format that it comes out on a page is really secondary for this type of a book. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And then in terms of selling it, I mean, I've also tried every possible route, perhaps. Um, I used, I'm trying to remember what their name is, but there was that, um, oh, there was that, that site that a lot of people use for ebooks and courses and so forth. Um, Leanpub? 
No, I never tried Lean Pub actually. Although I think I did try their tools a little bit and wasn't so impressed. I don't remember what it, what it was at some point. In any event, I, I used them for a little while, whatever they are. Uh, and then they have like a pop-up <laughs> widget a lot of people used. Uh, they were venture capital backed. Gumroad. Gumroad, Gumroad, there we go. Oh. Yeah. That's right, that's right. So I used Gumroad and they weren't bad, but they weren't amazing. And so I said, once again, I can do this better myself. And so I <laughs> wired up all sorts of things on my WordPress site using all sorts of interesting tools. And then I was dealing with upgrades and what does work and doesn't in e-commerce and everything. And so almost exactly two years ago, I switched over to Podia, which is a service for this. And I am so happy to be out of that business and I'll pay them my <laughs> annual fee and let them do all the software upgrades. And I've been very, very impressed. So basically I create the book or create whatever I'm going to create, upload it to them. I have to hook it into my own credit card accepting systems. So I accept both PayPal and Stripe. And then they basically deal with all the rest, which has been a pleasure. And again, like as Jeremy said, I can deal with the content and not have to deal with all this like other nonsense, which is important nonsense, but it's it's still annoying. Yeah, and can be a huge time suck. Uh, I mean, oh yes, yeah. Managing and, and, I, and running an e-commerce platform is yeah, <laughs> I, I, suck I, up I, much more time than you think it will. Oh my god! Like I even had so so like the fact that I don't live in the U.S. Like I recently incorporated in the U.S. as well, so now I have a U.S. company, so I can use Stripe. But before that, I couldn't. And so when I was running my own e-commerce system, I could use PayPal, but I wanted something because I know a lot of people hate PayPal, can't use it and whatnot. So I tried to hook up with, oh, I'm trying to remember who they are. I think it was to checkout, which is a pretty big e-commerce thing. And basically they rejected me and I said, why? And they gave a whole long list of types of sites they don't support. And it included like slave trading, drugs, <laughs> alcohol, pornography. I was like, okay. I don't think I'm doing any of these things. What, what's wrong? And I finally managed to get someone on the phone there. And they said, oh, it's because you mentioned on your website that you do consulting. And we don't allow people to do consulting with our credit cards. So we will allow you to sell your books if you remove any mention of consulting from your site. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's not happening so fast. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then so and so once you go to like a third party platform, they've dealt with a lot of these things already and you don't need to worry about it nearly, nearly as much. All right. So you've got your ebook. It is written, which is not a small task, right? It's written. It's looking great. Um, you've got it up on your site. Now you can just sit back and watch the money flow in, right? No, obviously, of course not. How do you market books? Yeah. How do you let people know about them? Well, speaking for mine, um, the most recent one I did, Developer Hegemony, um, this is a different type of book. It was just a book that I wrote um, for fun because I wanted to say something in the world. And uh, so it has become the, the main way I market is through Amazon because I did a launch for it and um, it gained enough traction and got up to enough rankings in a category that Amazon now markets. Uh, so I have a fairly passive and decent income funnel for that um, through Amazon. But apart from that, uh, I keep my blog on deadtech.com and um, like I have a side gutter widget for the book and I'll make reference to it in blog posts uh, where it's relevant and the site does a pretty good amount of traffic. So for me, that sort of 
uh, passive kind of marketing works pretty well um, for that book. I'm trying to think, I don't market the one about unit testing nearly as much, but that's another one that you could find on my site. So like building some kind of funnel to bring people in, whether it's uh, you know a YouTube channel that directs back to your site or a blog on your site or whatever, uh, that that's a pretty good way to get in front of people if you're not taking advantage of a platform like Amazon to like market on your behalf. And I guess, you know, if, if you're talking about Manning or the publisher, that's another uh, good way to get like a, a big boy to help you out with marketing somehow or another. Yeah, I mean, like, so I'm going to ignore Pearson in the Pro Book because that was basically almost 20 years ago and the world has changed so much since then. Uh, and they didn't really market the book anyway to that to, to, to really <laughs> So, so there. But like the eBooks, basically, I, I treated them as courses. And in fact, I should add, in many ways, it's easier to get people to pay a higher price if you call it a course and not a book, even if it is a book. Um, and you can throw in extra videos and there are all sorts of ways to sort of do pricing on that. We can talk about that in a bit as well. But basically I was marking like I do my courses, which is every possible way I can, largely through my mailing list, uh, which has grown a lot since I started doing this, but also through YouTube and other social media and, you know, and on basically everywhere I could possibly get someone to listen to me and mention it was good. And even so, even so, it's clear that Manning, like I see, you know, their Twitter feed has, you know, I, I have like, I don't know, 1,500, 1,800 followers on Twitter. And they have, you know, 35, 40,000 followers. So anytime they tweet, hey, there's a you know special deal on Ruben's book, or you should just go check out Ruben's book, some enormous number of people are going to see that and take a look. It doesn't mean they're all going to buy, but the power is the power of numbers. Um, so... The, the marketing, you're going to have to think about the marketing and what channels do you have. And if you can start building up a mailing list long before you actually publish, if you're self-publishing, that's going to make all the difference, right? What you don't want to do is publish to a list of 500 people and then start the start to build up your list to, until it gets to 10,000, 20,000, which is probably what you need to have a decent launch and, and you know, profitable book. Yeah, you, you definitely can't... Uh depend on the field of dreams method for the most part. You know, if, if you build it, they will come. That doesn't really happen. Yeah, I think that's a great point to make because I think about publishing the most recent book that I did, which has actually managed to do well, but I learned so much about marketing and how to launch something from doing that because it started out as people who would follow my blog would tell me that, hey, you know, you should write a book about some of this stuff. So I kind of did just that and it was a labor of love um, and I did it through LeanPub so I could, you know, share each chapter almost as if I were writing a blog except it would turn into a book. And that started out just me writing about like whatever I felt like writing about. And as I was going and I started to learn about how you would launch something, I realized how different the world actually is that like a book, you know, I mean, this sounds sort of obtuse when you say it out loud, but a book is a product like anything else. And if you're not thinking about your audience, who would buy it, what they would do with it, or how you're going to use it in positioning yourself, then you're just almost in a sense, wasting time, unless like me, you were doing it as kind of a half hobby. But as part of launching it, I realized that if I were going to go back and do it over, I would start with, you know, who's going to read this and why that would be the first thing. And then I would work backwards from that to, okay, what do these people need to know? How could I help them? Once I've done that, where do they hang out? How could I market to them? You know, so I guess in the course of kind of trying to retroactively turn this into something that I would launch and make some money from, I learned a lot about planning it from the beginning. So I think it is super important 
to have an audience in mind and to think through how you're going to reach that audience, like as if you were rolling out a SaaS or something. Yeah. And to that point about, you know, having an audience, one thing that I think can be beneficial in both helping you get the book actually finished and in marketing is identify a few individuals that you think are in the market, like, you know, specific people that you're kind of writing the book for and ask them to be reviewers of the book. Ask them, you know, tell them, hey, I think this is the kind of thing that would help you a lot. I would love to, you know, hear from you how I could improve it so that it is even better for you and, you know, gets you the information that you need and can use. And then, you know, if they're also reviewing and sort of helping you refine the thing, then they will also be inclined to, you know, sort of tell other people about it as it's coming along and it's being good for them and helping them. Yeah, I, I actually had someone at some point when I came up with one of my ebooks email me and say, hey, I have a blog where I talk about technical books. If you can send me a free copy, I'd be happy to market it for you and mention it. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not giving a free copy away. Dumb, 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 right? Like, <laughs> like how, how much would it have cost me to send a book to this guy? Zero. What are the odds that he would have spread it around for free on the internet? Almost zero. Would I have gotten some sales from it? Maybe not a lot of sales, but something, right? It, it, so, so it was basically free money, very little risk, very high potential reward. And that was just kind of dumb. So I'll, I'll tell you, working with a traditional publisher, things get a little, like, much more complicated. And... In, in many ways, it's complicated in the good way. It can be complicated in the bad way, too. So first of all, when I did, again, my first book with Pearson, I have a good friend who's a really well-known author, and he said, obviously, get an agent, right? Because the agent will negotiate a much better contract than you can do on your own. So I got an agent, and the agent took 10% of whatever I was going to get. So you know, my $5,000 uh, advance became a $4,500 advance, and he got 500 bucks for that. Did he really improve the contract? I'm sure he did. Was it overwhelming? I'm sure it wasn't. Uh, and so, so this time around with Manning, I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to do it myself. And as much as I hate the term standard contract, they sent me their standard contract. I found a few things. I asked them to change it. They did. They were normal. They were reasonable. And they're used to being in this sort of situation. So this time around, no agent. And you know, when I end up getting no money because I didn't negotiate a contract, maybe I'll go back to agenting. But there's a whole process with these publishers. So they have what someone who's known as a development editor. A development editor means I'm going to go find authors and or books, right? They don't actually edit. It's just sort of like, I don't know. In, in, in the magazine, it's like everyone in the, the museum world is a curator, whether they're actually putting up <laughs> exhibits or not. I mean, my wife's a curator, so I, I know this. So everyone in the book publishing industry is an editor, or in the magazine publishing industry is an editor of some sort or another. Uh, and so the development editor basically finds you or finds the topic or connects you. And as soon as you sign the contract, the development editor sort of fades into the background. Every so often they'll come back in touch, mostly because they're like the product project manager and they're going to push you, you know, push you ahead or try to. But then you get assigned to an actual editor who will go over the text. This person is typically not technically knowledgeable. They know how to edit technical books, but they don't know programming. And so in addition, I have a technical editor, technical reviewer, I guess is the better, better way to describe it. So every time I turn in a draft, um, and every publisher is different, but with Manning, we have GitLab set up. And so I just do a Git push with my latest manuscript with uh, um, what's called ASCII doc. So I say to them, hey, I just pushed. And so both the technical reviewer and the editor look over my manuscript, give me comments. 
and then I do another revision. I'm guessing I'll go through another revision or two before the thing finally finishes. In addition, and this is much to their credit, I'm guessing every publisher does this, even before I started writing a single word, I should say revising a single word, they had 20 or 30 reviewers, volunteer reviewers, look at the outline of the book. And then every time they turn in um, chapters, they review those as well. And so I'm getting sometimes very harsh feedback on what I've written, um, like <laughs> really nastily, chillingly harsh. But it's it's to my benefit, right? I mean, they say, would you, know, would you recommend this book to your friends or colleagues? And you know, when someone is like, no, you can get this kind of information on the internet and it would even be better. Um, yeah, you know, that, that hurts. That hurts. <laughs> Anonymous reviewer number 30, you know, 35. Anyway, um, <laughs> I know who you are. In any event, the, um, but this feedback really helps. And, and several times now we've sort of rejiggered the structure of the chapters and the way the book works based on that. Um, and Manning also has, I guess a lot of publishers had also the way they publish stuff online, you can sort of get early access books. And there I also get comments from readers. And so this kind of push-pull and this interaction means that it's no longer I write a book, I publish it, I'm done. It's I do a first draft, I get it out to people, they give me feedback, I modify it for the final draft, often substantially, and I have multiple drafts even, you know, I have the one that the technical reviewer does and the people reading online do. At the end of the day though, the combination of all this makes for a much better product. And there's no doubt in my mind that the Manning version of my book will be hugely, hugely superior to the one that I self-published. Um, they did warn me. <laughs> they said, you realize we're not just going to be taking your original version of the book. You're going to have to do a lot of work and a lot of writing and editing. Um, they warned me. They were totally right. I did not take it as seriously as I should have. But I'm also <laughs> much, much prouder of the final result than I expected to be. Yeah. And I think that, you know, speaks to, I think one of the huge differences between using a publisher and self-publishing uh, is that they have teams of people that they're going to get involved to help the final product be better. Uh, and that's not, you know, that it's not a slam on you as a, an author or anything at all. It's about, you know, as the author, you can be too close to the forest Right. You know, you're you're losing the forest for the trees uh, and it helps to have kind of a outside perspective on, hey, this thing here is worded weird or, you know, the structure doesn't flow quite right from this chapter to that chapter. Um, and so, you know, it, as much of everything you can do to try to replicate that sort of a workflow, if you're going to self-publish, will help your final product be better, you know, having a a language editor and a technical reviewer, uh, both would help most books. A few years ago at a JavaScript conference, I was approached by Nader Dabit. And you might know him for the React Native Radio podcast. He's also a developer evangelist for Amazon. And when he came to me, we had a conversation about React Native. And the thing that I love about React Native is that it's approachable, it's web technology, and it's cross-platform. And it makes a lot of things really easy for developers to jump in and do interesting things on mobile with JavaScript. So we've had this show now running for several years, React Native Radio, where we interview people about the React Native ecosystem, some of the things that are coming out in React and how they affect mobile, and other options that you have for mobile development. So if you're doing mobile development, you're doing it in JavaScript, you're looking for a good option, or maybe you're just trying to stay current with React Native, then go check out React Native Radio at reactnativeradio.com. Yeah, I've, I've actually 
very pleasantly surprised because I, you know, again, my, my ego was getting in the way. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> these guys at this publishing house, I'm just going to do some minor revisions. I'll hand it into them and they will be so impressed. But first of all, they deal with, you know, egotistical people like me all the time. So they're used to it. <laughs> but second of all, they really know their stuff. Like, and, and so they, now so, it doesn't mean I have to accept all their comments. And sometimes I don't, but the fact that I have to think about it and they've been making me very aware of the need for more diagrams, for example, which is a definite weakness of mine. And they have a graphic design staff. So they said to me, when you get a chance, photograph your whiteboard, like sketch on the whiteboard and we will come up with diagrams to, nice. to make it look nice. Um, the cover, well, I mean the cover, okay, the cover of my book, it's okay, folks. Nothing to write home about. It could have been way worse. Then you really would have written home or like run home screaming about it. Um, oh my goodness. In any event, like, and so they printed up t-shirts for me to like, you know, wear with the cover of my book on it. They just told me today, they were like, you know, give us a picture and we'll, we'll use it in marketing. Okay, I'm all in favor of marketing. Then they said, and wear it around and it'll be an interesting conversation starter. I'm thinking, yeah, but I'm not sure if it's the kind of conversation I want. And no one's going to buy my book based on it, or so I think. But again, to some degree, I have to trust them. These guys know marketing. I don't. Um, and so when I go for my 10-kilometer you know, walk in the morning, I'll wear their shirt. And you know, the, the, you know, the birds and the stray cats can, can buy my book. All right. Let's hope no one from many is listening to this again. Fine. Any event. <laughs> uh, but I do think that the project is going to be good. And because they have these connections, so they've already said... It would be nice to maybe do a whole series of books on various topics now that we're sort of feeling our way through because I'm doing the first book in like a new genre for them. So we're all kind of feeling our way and they're they're being very flexible and nice about it. So, yeah. So 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 it's actually this has been a very pleasant experience. And I should say I spoke uh, also with O'Reilly and just didn't work out with them. But I have no doubt that, you know, O'Reilly, Manning and other sort of high end publishers, although those are the two that I can think of offhand are going to give you a similar sort of experience. They care about the author. I should say the way the royalties usually work is you get about 10%, if I remember correctly, I, I don't have my contract in front of me, but I think it's like 10% of whatever the publisher gets. And so let's say a book is like $50 in the store. The publisher will typically get $25 from that. And so you're going to get $2.5 for every $50 book. So they have to sell many more for it to be worth your while. Again, you're not doing this because you're going to make millions, but you should just understand that probably the many, many hours you put into it, it's even not going to be your hourly rate if you have an hourly rate for consulting. It's, it's a totally different scale and you're doing it for a different reason. That said, hey, if you have a success, you know, successful book, power to you. Um, and then there are also like all sorts of uh, things about what about online versions and what about foreign translations and like the, the list goes on and on. They, they have all these different sort of ways of calculating and doing things. And I, I got, you know, I remember, I remember checking into it then and knowing, and now it's just lost in the weeds for me. Whatever, whatever they send me is, is good. Don't tell them that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I also should say like, in terms of the marketing of a book with a traditional publisher, it's very nice to be able to say, wow, they have all this following and they do know how to do marketing. Yes, but they are going to rely on you as the author to do a lot of that marketing as well. So I will get emails sometimes at like 8 p.m. Tomorrow, your book is on sale. Please promote it on social media. It's like, really? <laughs> Couldn't you have given me a day or two more notice? And so, yeah, they're going to market it, but they're assuming that I have a following. I have a mailing list. I have a blog. I have Twitter. I have whatever where people who are more likely to want to buy my book are. And indeed, I see, like, whenever they have one of those sales, 
sales spike. So like there's definitely there's definitely a method to their madness. Anything else we can maybe talk about in terms of books? I mean, I think like it's an interesting discussion. It's an interesting thing to think about, like um, holistically. But like so one of the things people ask me a lot, like through my blog or whatever, is do you think I should write a book? Like people come to me because I've written books and say uh, I have this idea. What do you think? Um, maybe it would be good to sort of like round it out with like, when should people in the audience write a book? Like if you have a freelance practice, like what makes sense? Should you, shouldn't you? I don't know. What do you guys think? First of all, if you like writing, like, like, first of all, decide if you like writing. So I've always enjoyed writing for me. It's, it's a great way to, um, sort of gather my thoughts, uh, help myself with my teaching and my training. So like in all ways, it's good for me. There are people who just hate writing. Um, they, they, and so, so if you're one of those people, don't say, well, I'll get through the book because even though I hate it, it'll be good for my career. I, I would not agree on that front. Um, hmm. but, but if you are comfortable with writing or willing to sort of put in the effort on it and you can publish something that's in a niche. So I know someone whose specialty is testing in a certain language. So he published a book on testing in that language and that made him the, the expert in testing in that language and that was great because it made him the authority in that niche but just to publish like another generalized book about a well-known programming language or technology it's probably not going to get you very far i'd say yeah, yeah that makes sense to me i think it kind of ties back to to what i was saying earlier and like this is the advice i tend to give people is like don't do what I did. I mean, unless you just want to do it, because I, I fall into the category of love to write. So I could have written the book and like, it's been surprisingly commercially successful for me. Um, I didn't anticipate that, but like, I would have enjoyed it without that. But if you are doing it for pure business purposes, you have to kind of sit down and have basically a little business plan for it. Like, how is this going to help you? Who's going to read it? You know, what kind of time are you going to have to invest getting it done? And then when people read it, what are they going to do? Are they going to recommend you for consulting engagements? Um, or are you going to carry this with you as sort of a piece of collateral uh, to reference in your sales conversations and so on and so forth? So I think that um, assuming you can, you know, actually write the book, that you it's something that's palatable to you to write a book, you should also have a plan for it. And if you don't, if it's just kind of like what Jeremy said earlier, if you're thinking, well, oh, I'll, I'll write it and they'll come, like that's not going to happen. So, you know, lay out a plan. What is this book going to do for you? And maybe even make like an ROI calculation for it. Like, well, I feel like this will help me close, you know, 20% more sales, or I feel like this will help me get in front of X number of more people, which will lead to more engagements. Um, so, I think you've got to have a plan for it is kind of my take. Yeah. And I think that's also getting into the topic of, you know, making sure that you really understand who you're writing the book for and why. Um, and the, I think the main thing that you want to watch out for is, you know, if you're expecting a book to try to help you drum up business, you want to make sure that you're writing a book that is for the people that are buying your services and not necessarily a book that is for your peers mm -hmm. and the people that do the same things that you do. And, you know, that, that certainly could be successful. And, you know, I think Reuven has a, has a business where that sort of thing is successful. You know, he's writing books that are educating people about Python and he sells services 
teaching people about Python. And those two things sort of go hand in hand. But, you know, if your main bread and butter is, you know, let's say doing custom integrations on Shopify sites, writing a book about Ruby testing, you know, probably isn't going to have the, the pull that you want for the book to actually contribute in meaningful ways to helping you land new work. Absolutely. All right. Any last thoughts on this topic before we go to picks and wrap up? Mm -hmm. I don't know that I have any off the top. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Jeremy, what you got for us in terms of picks? Uh, So a couple of self-promotion picks, one that we've already talked about, well, both we've already talked about. Uh, One is Remark, uh, remark remark.io, and that's with a Q, R-E-M-A-R-Q.io. It's a publishing platform for PDF, EPUB, Mobi. Uh, if you're thinking about writing a book, it's a great way to produce the actual artifacts that you're going to ship to people, um, including print ready. Uh, it's got some templates that uh, make it easy to do short runs at Blurb. Uh, and then the other is the book that I mentioned earlier, the Independent Consulting Manual. It's one that we produced through Remark and uh, is, I think, also helpful to a lot of people that are in the Freelancer Show audience. Very nice. Eric, what you got? Well, I mean, given the nature of this conversation, I guess I'll do the uh, two self-promotional picks that I've been talking about all along, if you want to check out these books. Um, I wrote one years ago called Starting to Unit Test, Not as Hard as You Think, and I'll post the uh, Amazon link for that. And then the other one that I wrote that was more the labor of love that um, has become somewhat popular is uh, Developer Hegemony, The Future of Labor. And that was basically... um, a fairly like lengthy take on what I think the future of software is and how I don't think that like um, standard kind of uh, corporate programming is the best deal for programmers where I think, you know, there's going to be more of an exodus um, because of the gig economy. And um, yeah, basically it's, you know, check it out. You can look at the description if you want, but it's um, not a how to read. It's kind of a, you know, my take on, on the software world. And that's it for me. Very nice. Uh, So I'm going to recommend a book that's not mine uh, for my pick. So uh, David Sanger is a New York Times uh, reporter. He's been writing on national security stuff for many years. So I picked up a copy of his latest book called The Perfect Weapon, War, Sabotage, and Fear in the Cyber Age. And it is absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. He goes through stuff that some of the things we know about, but it's sort of how the U.S. realized, like, what sort of world it's in, realized it a little bit late, and how, as as the title describes, you know, the perfect weapon, computers basically mean that even very small, poor countries can attack other countries, can attack companies, and do all sorts of wild things. Uh, One of my favorite, favorite stories uh, in the book is about how uh, the Russians wanted to get inside of the NSA, how are you going to do that, right? Like it's, you know, how are you going to do that? So they went to the parking lot of the NSA and put lots of USB drives on the ground, assuming that someone would be foolish enough to see it, say, oh, and plug it into their computer inside of NSA headquarters. (laughs) Bingo. (laughs) Like it worked. Um, And that was like such a clever piece of social engineering to know that people just sort of irresistibly pick these things up and want to see what's on them, even though I'm sure the NSA has like lots of signs around saying, don't bring things in, don't plug things into your computer and so forth. So it's a a, a fascinating and a little bit terrifying of a read, 
and um, def- def- definitely recommend it to people who uh, don't want to sleep at night. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, we're finished with this episode. Thanks so much. Thanks so much to you guys, uh, to, to everyone out there for listening. As always, if you have suggestions for guests, topics, things we should address, questions you have, we would be delighted to hear from you. And please contact us via all the contact info in the show notes. And we will be with you next week on The Freelancer Show. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.